Let's, uh, let's read Psalm 71 in its entirety. In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me and rescue me. Incline your ear to me and save me. Be to me a rock of refuge to which I may continually come. You have given the command to save me, for you are my rock and my fortress. Rescue me, O my God, from the hand of the wicked, from the grasp of the unjust and cruel man. For you, O Lord, are my hope, my trust, O Lord, from my youth. Upon you I have leaned from before my birth. You are he who took me from my mother's womb, and my praise is continually of you. I have been as a portent to many, but you are my strong refuge. My mouth is filled with your praise and with your glory all the day. Do not cast me off in the time of old age. Forsake me not when my strength is spent, for my enemies speak concerning, to me, concerning me. Those who watch for my life consult together and say, God has forsaken him. Pursue and seize him, for there is none to deliver him. Oh God, be not far from me. Oh my God, make haste to help me. May my accusers be put to shame and consumed with scorn and grace. May they be covered who seek my hurt. But I will hope continually and will praise you yet more and more. My mouth will tell of your righteous acts of your deeds of salvation all the day, for their number is past my knowledge. With the mighty deeds of the Lord God, I will come and I will remind them of your righteousness, yours alone. Oh God, from my youth you have taught me and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. So even to old age and gray hairs, oh God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those to come. Your righteousness, O God, reaches the high heavens. You who have done great things, O God, who is like you? You who have made me see many troubles and calamities will revive me again. From the depths of the earth, you will bring me up again. You will increase my greatness and comfort me again. I will also praise you with the harp for your faithfulness, O my God. I will sing praises to you with the lyre, O holy one of Israel. My lips will shout for joy when I sing praises to you my soul also which you have redeemed. And my tongue will talk of your righteous help all the day long, for they have been put to shame and disappointed who sought to do me hurt. Let's pray. Oh Lord God, we bow our heads in worship and humble adoration of you the God of all creation, the God of the universe, the God who sovereignly sustains everything. And Lord, we come to you, our refuge and our rock, but we come to you and we call out, Father. What an incredible privilege it is, O oh Lord, to walk in relationship with you. What an incredible privilege it is to have our hope in you. Lord, help us see today what you would have us see. Teach us your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Sometimes my family refers to me as the Grinch. 
And I want to clarify something right off the bat. I do not dislike Christmas. Christmas is a great time of year. It is a time of celebration. It's a time of tradition. It's a time of family. I love it. Christmas is wonderful. I just don't think that Christmas music should be played outside of Christmas season. Anybody with me on that? Maybe a couple of you? But the problem is I live with a wife, wonderful wife, who does think that Christmas music should be played outside the season. So sometimes, we had this argument on the way here. I said, uh, you know, I'm going to say something about you listening to Christmas music in September. And she's like, I know it's October. I said, well, it's the same. It's just a fall song. Those are fall times, not Christmas times. Don't be playing Christmas music in fall. Wait till Thanksgiving. Then you can play Christmas music. That's not what this psalm says, just so you know. I, I say that by way of introduction because I think one of my favorite Christmas tunes has a lyric, a line, that comes to the surface when I read and study this psalm. The line goes like this, Long lay the world in sin and error pining. Do you feel that? As a, as, a, as a Christ one, one who has been redeemed, adopted into the family of God, do you feel that, I just feel like I'm, I'm surrounded by sin and error, Things are falling apart around us in the world, and I long, I pine for something. Pining, I love that word. I know something of pining because I work with college kids who fall in love. All the time, we are around young love all the time. We get steady stream of invitations to weddings, and it's, it's incredible. But I work with these young men, like John Lepard back in the day, and, I, and he longs, he pines to be with Eunice. Preston's probably feeling a little bit this way right now, right? He's got a wedding coming up in June. He's pining that he doesn't have to leave his, his fiance. He now can be husband and wife and just be together all the time. There's a pining. It's this deep, really lo- heartfelt, like deep, I just need, I want, I long, I yearn for, I crave it. Long lay the world in sin and error, pining. In Romans 8, 28, Paul describes it like this. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. O Holy Night goes on to say, Long lay the world and sin and arrow pining until what? Until he, Christ, appeared and the soul felt its worth. And there's a thrill of hope. And the weary one, the weary world, what does it do? It rejoices. Why? Because all the sin and error is gone? No. For yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. God has come. He has entered into the world. He has brought us rescue. He's brought us adoption. He has brought us hope. The Christian life is a life of being weary and rejoicing. The Christian life is one of weariness and rejoicing at the same times. The Psalms provide just a good framework for us to look at when we experience things like weariness, when we experience things like downcastness. The truth is, sometimes as Christians, we want to push our emotions down, we don't want to feel anything. We know the truth. We can be stoic. We can just say, no, I know the truth. I don't need to feel those feelings. 
But the Psalms say, no, you are going to have feelings. Here's a proper way to channel them. Here's a proper way to structure them. Here's a proper way to think about them. As we walked through 2020 as a Camp Barakel staff, in some ways we had it so good. I mean, some people had to stay in their house. We had 350 acres of woods. We basically had our own Northwoods Resort with about 50 people who lived on it. It was pretty nice. But we are a camp people who were not doing camp. That was frustrating. And we longed for it. We pined for it. And then in the middle of that, in the summer, we had this devastating fire that destroyed our maintenance building. And we had all of these feelings and frustrations and almost anger kind of welling up like, what's going on here? And the Lord and his providence had brought us to the book of Psalms in the spring and in the summer, and we walked through some of the Psalms of lament. <laughs> lament is not a word we use often these days. We should. We walked through a psalm of lament. This author, we don't know who he is. Many, many uh, scholars say, this is David. It's clear it's David because he writes like David. He talks like David. He, he's mentioning things that line up with David's life. But there's no label like there is in Psalm 70. Psalm 70 says, this is of David. Psalm 71 does not. But no matter. What we have here. In, according to Charles Spurgeon, is the prayer of an aged believer. <laughs> He's an old guy. He's been through it. He's been wrung out several times in the woes of life. And he's got a problem now. He's got this situation where people are kind of after him and want his downfall. And so what we have here is this, this weary man. But he's rejoicing. He's walking through a tough time, but he's rejoicing. And, and maybe you are in a situation like that this morning. This, this world has weighed on you. This last year has been weary. There were, there were a few times this year where I texted my friend and mentor, and I'd just say, he'd be say, how you doing? I'd be like, I'm weary. And you'd think, this is a camp program guy without a program to want. I should be really rested, Right? I was weary, I was tired of it. I just wanted, I don't know, I just wanted a lot of things, right? I wanted normalcy, I wanted whatever. Weary. Maybe you are that. Maybe, the, maybe you've lost loved ones. Maybe you've lost your job. Maybe you've lost relationships just because of the division and the strife and anger that's in our world, and you're just tired. I sense that from this psalmist. And the, the God and his, his glorious gift to the church gave us this to look at, to say, how does a weary one lurk? What does a weary one do to rejoice? And I want to point out three things that he does. One is he laments. I'm going to go back to that word. He laments. Two is he rejoices. He rejoices, and he does so by a couple things. He remembers what God has done, and he tells others. So he laments. He rejoices, and finally we're going to look at, he hopes. And not in like this nebulous future thing. He has a solid hope, just like we do. So let's begin. He laments. This man is a lamenter. <laughs> now, now, we don't use that word a lot, but I read a good book this past summer called 
Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy by Mark Vrogop. And he, he described lament like this. He said, lament is a prayer in pain that leads to trust. And lament is a prayer in pain that leads to trust. When we're in pain and going through something hard, what do we naturally want to do? Grumble. How many of you are really good at grumbling? I'm going to raise my hand here. You may not hear me grumble because my grumbling's inside my head, but I grumble good. I'm a good grumbler. And people are naturally good grumblers when things go wrong. It's what our natural response is. We complain, we grumble. And the Bible clearly condemns grumbling. Like it clearly says, that's wrong. You should not grumble. Do all things without grumbling and complaining, Philippians. You look at the story of the Israelites, God's people, what did they do? They grumbled and they got punished for it. Because what the Bible describes grumbling as is, is actually assaulting God's sovereignty, saying, God, you don't know what's good for me. I know what's good for me. And what you've given me right now is not good. Therefore, you're wrong, God. I'm right. Give me something different. That is grumbling. And we've got to be careful when we talk about lamenting to, to make a clear line between lamenting and grumbling. Lamenting is a prayer in pain that leads to trust. So when you grumble, you don't get trust. When you grumble, you're actually, you're moving farther away from trusting God. You're pointing out all the things that he's doing wrong, and you're moving away from trust. You're distrusting God. But when you lament, you move closer to God. And you act in trust when you pour out your heart to him. When you, when you just tell him all that's going on, you do so in this trust because you know that he is the one who knows it all already. He's also the only one who can handle it. Grumbling leads to distrust. Lament leads to trust. Grumbling will lead to bitterness. Eventually, you grumble enough, your heart just gets hard and you become this bitter person who's just upset by little things. And it goes on. I, I noticed this in my own life. Bitterness is the fruit of grumbling. Peace is the fruit of lament. When you, when, you, when you stop grumbling and you take your woes to Christ and you lay them at his feet, he will give you peace. He will give you peace. So peace leads, or uh, lament leads to peace. And, and all of that is because grumbling keeps our eyes right here, right now on what's going on. Grumbling is temporal. Grumbling is about me and what I'm dealing with right now. But lament takes those woes and it lifts our eyes up to the throne of God. And we no longer, we, 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 we take all of those things that are temporal, but we put them up into eternal. <laughs> and when they're in eternal, guess what happens? They start to fade away. They, the, the reality of the situation becomes clear to us. And we see eternally. We see beyond temporally. Psalm 71 isn't traditionally characterized as a psalm of a lament, but lament is definitely in there. Right away, he says, let me never be put to shame. You can sense that there's something going on here. Something's wrong. He says in verse 4, he says, rescue me from the hand of the wicked, from the grasp of the unjust and cruel men. He's like, Lord, these guys are after me. This thing's going on. I've got this problem. It even says in verse 7, I have become a portent to many. Now that word portent just means like you are a horror to people. Like when they look at you, you're like, 
whoa, that guy's got it bad. That is terrible what's happening to him. He is a, he's a portent to many. He says that his enemies plan to seek and pursue him, and there's no one there to deliver him. Verse 11, right? His, his enemies are trying to tell him, like, you don't even have God. He's not going to deliver you. We're going to be after you. Let me point out a couple of things of what he's doing here. Who is he talking to? Is he talking to his buddy? No. Is he even talking to himself? No. How do you know when you're grumbling? When you're talking to somebody else about it? Yeah. Or when you're talking to yourself about it? Yeah. How do you know you're lamenting? When you take it right to God. When you take your cares and your concerns and you go to God. By the way, sometimes that happens in relationship with one another, right? Husband and wife, they tell each other their problems and they take them to God, right? So I'm not saying don't talk to other people. I'm saying that that's not the end of it. If you talk to somebody else, help them help you point it back to Christ. He's going to God. He's going to God. Our psalmist knows that he is the one who will sustain him. The Bible says, cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. That word cast comes up again in 1 Peter. It says, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all of your anxieties, all of your cares, all of your woes on him. Because why? Because he cares for you. This act of lament is a prayer. But it's a prayer because that, that's where we need to go. This act of lament is an invitation to bring our burdens to God because that's who can help us. Does God already know the problems? Yep, he knows them. But he doesn't want us to turn to anywhere else. He wants us to come to him. And these laments are sometimes like, especially in other psalms, but this here where you feel like, wait a minute, this doesn't even feel right. Like, how is he talking to God like this? He's almost accusing God. Do not forsake me. Don't left me alone. Like, God, you've left me. You've wandered away from me. And you almost feel like, whoa, I don't think you should be talking to God like that. Have you ever read a psalm and thought that? Like, I don't think that's the way I'm supposed to talk to God. And God says, who else are you going to talk to like that? I'm your heavenly father. I know you feel that way. I see deep in your soul. So if you don't bring it to me, you're being dishonest with me. That's how God responds to us in that. Where do we take those? We take it to God. And what this shows when, when he says, do not forsake me, it shows this level of intimacy that one can have with God. A level of intimacy where I can bear my soul and unload my burdens without feeling like I'm going to offend God. I'm not going to offend him. Now, I don't want to go there and tell him how he should do his job, but I'm, I'm going to take it to him. This is what I feel. This is what I'm dealing with right now, Lord. I'm going to lay it at his feet without worrying about offending him. It reveals such a deep and interwoven relationship with God. And, and that relationship, Christian, that relationship with God is our aim. That is the ultimate what we get with salvation. Yes, we get to get out of hell and go to heaven. Praise the Lord for rescue from our sin. Amen. 
Yes, we get to grow and be more and more and more like Christ. Praise the Lord for sanctification. Yes, we get to be used in the mission of building the church. Praise the Lord for evangelism. But when it comes right down to the heart, foundation of what salvation is, it is that you get God. You get to actually go into the throne room of God and cast your burdens on him. You get to have him. So what is heaven? It's more of him. Right? What is sanctification? It's the result of spending more time with him. What is evangelism? It's an invitation to come and get him. You get God. And the Christian life is primarily about growing deeper and deeper in that relationship. And lament is one of those exercises that we are not good at and we need to be better at. I want to point out a little bit here because... As a Christian, when you hear anything that strikes the tone of the cross, your ears should perk up. Ooh, that sounds familiar. That sounds like Jesus, right? Whenever you're reading the Bible and you hear something like something just like, oh, wait, that reminds me of Jesus, pay attention because it's there for that reason. And when I see this psalmist saying, do not forsake me, he says it a few times. Do not forsake me. What do I hear? I hear that echoed at the cross when the Son of God is dying by crucifixion and he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus used the psalm's language in his relationship with his father when he walked here on earth. He was showing us how to do it. Not only that, he was inviting us. That whole, his whole life was spent inviting us into this relationship. His death paid the price so that we could have the same relationship with the heavenly father that Jesus the son has. We as Christians hear that so often we don't see that. It is incredible. The Trinity from eternity past, from eternity forward, perfect union, perfect relationship, that is what we get. That's what Jesus died for. He shows us this intimacy, even as Jesus laments. Lamenting is something that Jesus did. We can lament. All right, that's my first point. There we go. Lamenting. The psalmist laments as a weary one rejoicing. But that lamenting is balanced. It's actually kind of brought to fruition in rejoicing. So the second thing he does is he rejoices. And there's two steps to his rejoicing. One is he remembers. He is recalling all that God has done. As I said before, this is not a young man. This is an older man. And you sense that this is a man who's got a very tight, very vibrant relationship with God. And also, he has seen much. He's been through the ringer. He's been through experiences. And he looks back at those experiences, and he rejoices. He remembers. For you, O Lord, verse 5 and 6, are my hope. You are my trust from my youth. Upon you I have leaned from before my birth. Ye, you are he who took me from my mother's womb, and my praise is continually of you. Verse 17, O oh God, from my youth you have taught me. 
And I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. Verse 19 and 20, your righteousness, O God, reaches the high heavens. You who have done great things, O God, is like you. Now pay attention to verse 20. You who have made me see many troubles and calamities will revive me again. God walks you through troubles and calamities. He leads you right into them so that you will trust him more. And as you walk into another calamity, as you walk through another dark spot, as you experience weariness in this life, he wants you to remember. He wants you to remember who he is and what he has done in your life. Sometimes we look for solace, we look for comfort, we look for strength in something temporal, something right here that I can grasp, right? If I could, I'm a, I've got a sweet tooth, and I'm going to blame that on my dad, right? He's got a sweet tooth. So I kind of have this, like, can I just give it a bowl of ice cream? It'll be better. Can I just get, get some donuts? That'll be good. And I like to satisfy what, I, what my weariness is with caffeine, with food, with, right? And it tastes good, and it provides a little bit of satisfaction, and then it feels terrible, right? <laughs> that hope is gone. That solace is gone. And that's true with, most, with all temporal solutions to weariness, right? A good night's sleep is great. God's given us sleep, but you'll be tired again. Your, your strength will wear down. Relationships are a beautiful gift, but sometimes you can't get to them, and sometimes those relationships provide the hurt. Entertainment is great. It's a beautiful gift, but sometimes it, the game will get end. The show will end. But God, he is constant and always working. And when we look back at his track record with us, we see his faithfulness to us, and we get to, to that will sustain us in our weariness, remembering all that God has done. And you can remember the good things. I believe in this. He's, he's, he's looking back in his life, and he's remembering, oh, that sweet time I had with those people. Oh, that sweet time I had. Oh, that, that, that I remember going to that camp and experiencing God in that situation. I remember that church service. I remember those people. I remember the, when I look back at my life, I can tell you the high points, right? I can tell you of the summer I spent at camp as a college student and how he changed. My, I was going to be a mechanical engineer, and now look at me, right? So he changed my trajectory in the summer of 1997, how he brought my wife into my life, how he raised me in a Christian home. I could show all the good things, and those are wonderful, good, great things. We should often remember the good things of God. When you're going through a dark time, sometimes the stronger medicine is remembering the dark times, remembering the hard times. If you really talk to me about my relationship with God, I'll tell you about job loss, and I'll tell you about deaths of loved ones, and I'll tell you about hurt relationships, and I'll tell you about miscarriage, and I'll tell you it's those dark times when God carries us through. And that's why he says, you who have made me see many troubles and calamities, you'll revive me again. I remember when you did back then. You will again. You're so good to me, Lord, that I know that even in dark times, I can be brought back through it. Right? Looking back helps us see. It helps us as we're weary. I want to I Make sure I mention this, though. All of those examples, the good things that God has done, the bad things that he's walked us through, those are good things to help us 
rejoice in weariness. But ultimately, God has done something for us that as Christians we can always, always go back to. Does God love us? Yes. Why? How do we know that? He demonstrated his own love for us in that while we were yet sinners, what happened? Christ died for us. The gospel is the greatest thing to remember and the one thing to always remember. The gospel is the purest form of understanding God's faithfulness, God's love, God's care, God's righteousness, God's holiness. It it remembers all of it. When we see what God has done on the cross, we always remember who God is in us. Remember the cross. Hmm. So he's rejoicing and he remembers. But he doesn't just keep it to himself. Are you catching this? This psalmist is not quiet. He is not a kind of guy who just writes a journal and that's it. He wants to tell everybody. Verse number six, my praise is continually of you. Verse number eight, my mouth is filled with your praise, your glory all the day. Verse number 15, my mouth will tell of your righteous acts, of your deeds of salvation all the day, for their number is past my knowledge. With the mighty, verse 16, with the mighty deeds of the Lord God, I will come. I will remind them of your righteous deeds, yours alone. There's again and again and again, he is saying, I'm not keeping this to myself, Lord. You bring me through this, and I'm telling everybody. I'm telling everybody. Rejoicing cannot be done without telling somebody else. (laughs) It's not complete. You rejoice when you tell others. I want you to look especially at verse number 18. Even to old age and gray hairs, oh God, do not forsake me. Why? Because I want to tell other people. Until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those who come. This is an older saint saying, God, you walk me through this. You walk me through this because I want to tell my kids. I want to tell my grandkids. I want to tell the younger ones. The church has been given the gift of senior saints. And the gift of senior saints is this, that you can tell of God's faithfulness. You've lived it. You've seen it. Please don't keep it to yourself. I I don't have, I've got gray hairs. I think I'm going to lose most of them before they go gray. Pretty sure that's true. And I'm not as old as dad. I mean, he's an old guy. Don't. He's young. I mean, he's a a young 70. But even this speaks to me. What am I telling my kids? How am I walking them through dark times? Am I telling them of God's faithfulness? Am I reminding them of who God is? Am I telling them to put their trust in Christ? Or am I telling my opinion on some political situation? Am I telling them, do I waste my time just talking about sports, right? It's all good. It's part of a relationship. You can talk about, when my dad and I get together, we talk about everything, right? We talk about equipment. We talk about projects. We, we sometimes even get arguments, right, about temporal, meaningless things. But what I really appreciate about my mom and dad is when they talk about the faithfulness of God, and they do. Last night, we sat around the kitchen table, and we heard their testimonies again. And they told us how God rescued them. My dad told us how he was saved, and then within the matter of months, 
his family and his extended family, the, like this whole town of Bellevue got saved. I don't know what it sounded like, and I don't know, but it was amazing. If you know my dad, you know he gets a little teary. I'm going to brag on you, Dad. Sorry, you're going to probably cry right now. It's okay. I love it. I'm so proud of him. I'm proud to be Larry's son because when we gather as a family for a family event, we talk about how God has, what God has brought us through in the last year. And when it gets time for Dad to talk, he can't do it <laughs> because his tears are overwhelming with joy. He has this sense of how good God is, and I know it because he proclaims it to me. He tells me, he doesn't hide that. Oh, grandparents and parents, aunts and uncles, tell your story. They want to hear it. Tell your story of God. Rejoice. So he laments. He's a weary one. He laments. He rejoices by remembering and telling. But ultimately, he doesn't leave it there. He says, my hope, what I look for to get through this is God. My hope is in God, right off, the, right off the bat, verse number one, in you, O Lord, do I take refuge. And he hits that drum again and again. Verse five and six, be to me a rock of refuge to which I may continually come. You have given the command to save me. You are my rock and my fortress. Verse seven, you are my strong refuge. Verse 14, I will hope continually, and I will praise you yet more and more. He says, Lord, you are my rock. You are my fortress. You are the one I hope in. You are all that I trust in is in you. To be saved doesn't mean just hoping future. To be saved means I hope now. I trust now. The waves of trouble, the waves of tribal trial will, will wash over us. But we as Christians can stand solid on the rock that is Jesus Christ. God is our hope. Lean on him. He will not let you stumble. He will not let you fall. He is solid. The problem is we are tempted every day to try to stand on something that's not solid. We put our hope in other things. Sometimes they're as silly as, I just hope that Michigan wins the tournament, right? Sometimes they're like, I just hope that my retirement plan lasts just a few more years so I can get there. I hope that the weather is good when I go south for spring break, right? We have some of these, sometimes we say, I, I just hope that the vaccine will take care of it all. I hope that the politician that I want to get in office will come in office and will satisfy everything. I hope... I think, if I'm honest with you, in my own life, and I know in a life's a lot of others, the Lord has, has brought this pandemic and then basically pulled back the curtains on our soul and showed us what we hope in. I've hoped in maybe my own safety. I've hoped in freedom. I hope in science. I hope in money. I hope in politics. Our hope is not in vaccines. It's not in politicians. Can I say this in all respect? It is not even in the continuation of the United States of America. Let me pause and say, I love this nation. I think this nation is a gift from God for the people who live in it. 
And for those of you who served for our freedom, thank you, thank you. But my hope is not that the USA will be around forever. The Bible says clearly nations rise, nations fall. But what it says also is that the kingdom of God, the nation that we belong to eternally, has only ever been on the rise. It will only ever be on the rise. It will never take a dip. It's only going up. And we get to hope in that. In that. That's where my hope is. That's where my rock is. I think when, when the ground starts to tremble and the foundations of what we normally hope in start to feel squishy, and things don't feel real solid, what the Christians have is so much more than that. We have a rock of refuge that is eternally solid. So when that happens, the Christian response should be several things. But one of the Christian's response should be like a, I'm standing up on my tippy toes waiting to see what God is going to do. Because when he's shifting things down there, he's at work. And I can trust that I know him and that he loves me and he cares for me and he's going to take care of me and maybe it's going to look terrible for the next few years. I don't know. I don't want it to be, but... I'm okay with that because I have this hope and this rock and I'm on his team and I'm in his kingdom and I am anticipating that he's doing marvelous great things always. The Lord has never left his throne. The Lord has been in charge from eternity past to eternity future. Nothing shakes that. How do we don't need to worry? And when we worry, what would you do? Just bring it to him and he'll show us, oh, Jeremy, Oh, Jeremy, I love you. I got this. You can trust me. You can stand on me. Though the world may fall around me. Hmm. Romans 8 continues. I read this earlier. But we, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, the ones who've been rescued and adopted into his family, even though we groan inwardly, in a, in a world full of sin and error, right? We wait eagerly, we pine for adoption as sons, for redemption in our bodies, for in this hope we are saved. My brother and sister in Christ, what are you hoping in? Run right to God. Where do you take your cares? Run right to God. Hope to him. Cling to his rock. What's amazing about our relationship is that you start clinging to his rock, you realize soon, you're not clinging. He's clinging to you. God himself is with you. Turn to him. He will give you peace. He will give rest for the weary. Jesus, when our Lord and Savior walked these earth, he said so many things to help us. He said, these things, and John, he says this, these things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all I have said to you. And then he says this, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Matthew 11 Jesus says these words, which have been so important to me. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest.